0: Before we dive into the message today, I wanted to just um, share a few things. The first, uh, like you, I've been processing the school shooting in Texas, and I don't presume to have the final word on that, but I I do want to just humbly offer a few things that may help all of us. Our first response to that should be to mourn with those who mourn, to lament the loss of life to look at the pictures of those children and those two teachers. I listened to an interview of a young boy who survived that, and he said he can't sleep at night. We should lament. Secondly, we should do all we can to support and encourage ministries that focus on youth and young adults. In the last two mass shootings, the shooters, do you remember how old they were? 18. Both the New York and the Texas one. And so we need to continue to do all we can to support our student ministries here at Edgewood, uh, to support ministries like Safe Families and like Youth Hope. Uh, Youth Hope this past year did a mentoring program for young boys Boys who were getting in trouble at school, and I had the privilege of being part of that. Mark and Sarah Drake are sitting right over there. Uh, This summer, Camp Summit will be going on, providing a camping experience and a gospel focus uh, for young boys and young girls. Austin Anderson's the camp director. He's over there with his wife, Ona. Third response, so number one, mourn with those who mourn. Number two, let's support ministry to youth and young adults. And number three, the gospel is the answer. At the root of all of our cultural confusion is the deception that's caused by our own depravity. And behind these horrific acts of violence lies an unholy heart, and in short, we have a sin problem in our society and it's killing us. And only the gospel is the ultimate answer to that. The second thing I want to share today is we have 30 people in Israel. I understand they just were at Caesarea as part of their visits to different sites. And as far as I know, Pastor Ed has not caused any international incidents (laughs) yet. Third update is more serious. Many of you know Pastor Dan. Uh, He oversees our missions ministry here and our Celebrate Recovery ministry and a number of other things. Uh, I have his permission to share this. Some of you already know. If we have your email address, you got a brief uh, email this week. Pastor Dan is in Iowa City with meningitis, and he's taking some very significant in, uh, IV treatment, antibiotics. Uh, will be in the hospital at least until Tuesday. Um, there's another issue going on is he his cerebrospinal fluid has been leaking, Um, and some of you who know Dan well have known that he's been struggling with that. Uh, A date for that procedure is not yet set. Uh, I called Dan uh, this morning. Uh, He had a rough night last night, so he's doing better, uh, but he is in need of prayer as well. One final announcement, and then we're going to pray. In this particular service, Andrew and Jennifer Guthrie, could you guys stand Andrew and Jennifer, Andrew serves in our military, and they've been part of Edgewood for a year and a half, maybe longer than that, and this is their last weekend here. He is going to another assignment in another part of the country, and can we just express our love for them? Thank you. So, God, now we we pray knowing that you bend your ear to listen. Lord, we come to you on behalf of our country, fractured and hurting and in pain, and the lostness, the depravity is just so evident. Lord, we thank you for how Christ followers are among the first to respond in these kinds of situations. We pray you would mobilize your church in those communities. Lord, we pray for healing for those who are grieving. Lord, we pray that our country and individuals in our country would see that without you, there's no hope. Lord, may you, uh, through the power of the gospel, save lives, redirect lives. Lord, we pray for ministries, even here in the Quad Cities. Lord, we pray uh, for uh, impact, for life change, for redirection uh, of students and young adults who are struggling with aimlessness and depression and mental health issues and anger and, and so many things. And Lord, we also want to pray for Dan today. Lord, thank you for who you've made him to be. Thank you that he and Beth are trusting you right now. Lord, you are uh, such a good and great God. We want to pray for Beth today, that you would fill her with your sweet peace as she leans on you, as she trusts uh, you for her husband, Dan. Lord, for Dan today, we pray that this headache would go away. Lord, we pray that the meningitis would Uh, would just go away. Lord, we pray for this other issue that's going on. We pray for a schedule, a date, and for resolution there. Lord, we pray you'd return him to full and complete health. Lord, through all of this, work your way and your will. Ultimately, for your glory, for the fame of your name, and for Dan and Beth's good, we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 In 1915, a plague of locusts covered Palestine and Syria from the border of Egypt to the Taurus Mountains. The first swarms appeared in March, and these were the adult locusts that came from the northeast, and they moved toward the southwest in clouds so thick they obscured the sun." The females immediately began to lay eggs by digging holes in the soil and depositing about 100 eggs in each hole. Within a few weeks, the young locusts hatched, resembling large ants. They had no wings, and within a few days, they began hopping along the ground like fleas, devouring any vegetation before them. According to a description in National Geographic, the earlier stages of these insects attacked the vineyards. Once entering a vineyard, the sprawling vines would in the shortest time be nothing but bare bark. When the daintiest morsels were gone, the bark was eaten off the young topmost branches, which after exposure to the sun were bleached snow white. The article described how the locusts of the last stage completed the destruction begun by the earlier form. They attacked the olive trees, whose tough bitter leaves had been passed over by the creeping locusts. They stripped every leaf, every berry, and even the tender bark. The destruction of locusts represents the losses of life. And some of you have been swarmed by sin and you've been left reeling others of you are dealing with a recent diagnosis or the death of someone close to you or depression or deep disappointment some of you have relapsed and you've lost hope of ever being sober again Some of you are going through some relational stuff and you don't see any hope. And current events like school shootings, the war in Ukraine, high gas prices, and now the threat of monkeypox have led to deep despair. You see, the devouring of the locust is a picture of how devastation slowly eats away at our lives. Until we feel like there's nothing left. If that describes you, you are in the right place today. Because our topic is restore. That word restore means to bring back, to reinstate, to return to a former condition. That was part of my research for this message. I just did a Google search with the word restore. I was surprised. Three billion with a B results for the word restore. I'm not quite through all of those yet, so. But I did do a brief survey of several passages in the Bible that shed light on how the Bible defines the word restore. Psalm 23, verse 3, he restores my soul. Psalm 51, 12, restore to me, David said, the joy of your salvation. That's the prayer of some of you today. You're like, I've lost all my joy. God, restore it. Jeremiah 30, 17, for I will restore health to you. Job forty two, ten, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. <laughs> I love this. When he had prayed for his friends, the friends who were attacking him throughout the book. Acts three, twenty-one, until the time for restoring of all things. First Peter five, ten, and after you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Second Corinthians 13 9 for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Paul's writing to a fractured church, a church with a lot of issues, and he says, Your restoration, church is what we pray for. Our main verse today is from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 25. Joel two twenty-five. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. Now, when a text of Scripture is a bit difficult to understand, it's important, it's always important to consider the context because a text taken out of context is a pretext for a proof text. We don't want to pull this text out of context and just say, okay, that's my verse. Now, No, we want to understand what comes before it what the purpose of the book is, where the whole narrative is going. And so we're gonna take some time to look at the overview and even the flow of the book of Joel. So if we're going to apply it now, we must first understand what was happening then. Well, Joel is considered one of the 12 minor prophets. No, he's not minor because his message isn't meaty. No, he's called Minor simply because there's only three chapters to the book. In fact, some of you are like, where's the book of Joel? I know it's in here somewhere. <laughs> that was me this week. I'm like, I know it's here. Where is it? It's so short. It's a collection, the Minor Prophets, a collection of shorter prophets right at the back part of the Old Testament, and then you have the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Daniel. We've been doing something interesting in our growth group. Beth and I host a group on Wednesday nights. We recently finished a study on intentional discipleship, and then we each shared our testimony with others in the group. And now we're simply reading through entire books of the Bible during our time together. We've completed the book of Philippians, and this past week we were deciding what to read, and someone said, Let's read the book of Joel. Well, there's not a lot of information about Joel the prophet, so I gave a very quick overview before we began, and then I joked. I said, It's going to be a short sermon this weekend. (laughs) To which Rick Waddell quipped in an English accent Not very likely. (laughs) He thinks he's funny. So, here's how much we know. First, the name Joel means Jehovah is God. That's right from the opening verse. What else do we know? We know his dad's name. Pethiel, that's about all. Scholars aren't even certain when the book was written, though most land at about 800 B.C. Joel writes of historical events things that have already happened, but he also writes of events that are fulfilled in the near and distant future, which makes it a little bit difficult to understand. One of the recurring themes is the devastation caused by locusts, which is both real and representative. He's also the first prophet to develop the apocalyptic event referred to as the Day of the Lord. Well, here's our main idea. God can restore what has been ruined. And since this book is brief, let's see if we can understand it, and then let's see how the Holy Spirit's going to apply it to our lives today. Number one, our problems with restoration. Some of you are paralyzed by regrets you have in your life. You look back and you go, ah, yeah, that didn't go well. That was dumb. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And you think you've just kind of wasted your life. It's not uncommon for people to think something like this. It's too late. I've been away too long. I've done too many bad things. Now, while the people's specific sin is not mentioned by Joel, a careful reading of the book shows that they, God's people, had slipped into a state of complacency, apathy toward the Almighty. As a result, God worked to get their attention, and he did it in at least four ways, and he did these things in order to woo them back. He knew they were straying. They were in a bad spot, so that perhaps that'll help you. Often, God uses bad things to get our attention so that we return fully and completely to him. Would you notice first the devastation? I'm in verse four of chapter one. What the cutting locusts left the swarming locust has eaten. With the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. With the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. So here's how it worked. The cutting locust ate the top of the plants. The swarming locust ate the stalks. The hopping plant ate the stubs. And the destroying locust, well, he munched on the roots of the plants which led to destruction. Look at verse 7. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Notice desolation now in verses 10 and 12. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns. Because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Drop over to verse 12. The vine dries up. The fig tree languishes. Pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up. And gladness dries up from the children of man. Gladness dries up from the children. I just... Reflected on this, here's what I wrote down. It makes me think of how children are under attack in our own culture. From the preborn in the womb to newborns in need of formula to school children being killed in their classrooms. Notice finally, discipline. Because of how his people were living, God disciplined them by sending locusts and by promising judgment. To come. Oh, meet me in verse 15. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Drop over to chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Why? Why? For the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. In his introduction to the book of Joel, Chuck Swindoll writes this, a strong dose of apocalyptic imagery in Joel just might open our eyes to the necessity of following faithfully after God every moment of our lives. Because... The return of Christ is one day closer today than it was yesterday. And we better be ready. Wouldn't it be a bad thing if the Lord returned and you weren't walking with him? I mean, 1 John 2 says you don't want to shrink away in shame at his appearing. So a focus on end times should always have a purifying effect on our lives, rooting out bitterness that we've allowed to grow, rooting out hard hearts and making sure we're walking with Christ, expecting his return at any moment. I'm thrilled at Edgewood, we're going to be hosting a prophecy conference. We're calling it Living Today Today in the light of forever. September 16th through 18th, Dr. Ray Pritchard will be preaching that weekend. Dr. Michael Radalnik will be speaking Friday night and live hosting, get this, live hosting Moody Radio's open line Saturday morning right from here, from the worship center. And that goes out across America and he'll be taking questions from us that deal with the end times. Friend, our society is in a bad, bad spot. We've quoted Isaiah 520 before, but it bears repeating because it's a sad commentary on our country right now. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It makes me wonder if we're beginning to experience God's judgment on America. I don't say that lightly, and I haven't said that often. But if you read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, and consider the state of our country, my mind often goes to something Billy Graham was fond of saying. If God doesn't punish America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. This week I listened to a breakpoint podcast I heard John Stone Street challenge Christians with how to impact our culture we're essentially living in Babylon church so how do we thrive as exiles here now listen for the word restore in number 4 but first promote what's good we're not always good at promoting what's good number 2 fight what's evil number 3 figure out what's missing And contribute to that. And number four, restore what's broken. Friend, God can restore what has been ruined. Number two, the plea for restoration. In order to be restored, it's essential we respond to God's plea. I can't wait for you to hear this plea. Verse 12 of chapter 2. This is God speaking. Yet even now, declares Yahweh. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. So a cultural expression back then of grief was to tear your outer garments. God's like, don't worry about that. Make sure your heart has been torn. Return to the Lord your God. (laughs) for he is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. I'm not going to take time to develop this because we're going to focus on how to return later in this series. Suffice it to say this, if you want to experience full restoration, make sure you have first exhibited full repentance by returning fully to him let's look next at the promise of restoration so in the middle of all this devastation this destruction in the middle of all they felt desolate and and they're they're being disciplined (laughs) don't miss this god longs to graciously deliver his people friend whatever you've done it's not too late it's not over there's hope for you even though you feel hopeless today. God will take pity. He'll protect and he'll provide for his people yet again. And some of you desperately need to hear this promise from Joel chapter two, verse 24 and 25. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats I thought the locusts destroyed everything. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. Ah, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. Oh, there's so much here. I'm just gonna make some observations. I'll highlight it in yellow as we go through these two verses. The threshing floors had been barren for several years, but now would become full of grain again. That word full means to complete what was empty, to finish to capacity, but there's even more. The vats will overflow with wine and oil. Here's the idea, that these containers would burst because there's so much. God's people went from scarcity to satisfaction to supersize to overflowing. Incidentally, God links this kind of over-the-top blessing. Well, he links that to our generous giving. Oh, listen to Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then will your barns be filled with plenty, listen, here's the phrase, and your vats will be bursting. Verse 25 begins with I. This is God himself who is speaking. It's not me, it's not you, it's God. It's not me plus God, it's not you plus God, it's God alone. And we've said it like this before, Jesus Plus, nothing equals everything. It's not my way or your way, it's Yahweh. Come on, that was pretty good. (laughs) The next word is will, which shows this is something we can count on God to do. Notice, God doesn't say maybe. He doesn't say perhaps. No, he says I Will Numbers 23, 19, has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Many of us are reading the book of Ezekiel using the Edgewood Bible reading plan, Ezekiel 24, 14. I am the Lord. I have spoken. It shall come to pass. I will do it. The word restore is the Hebrew shalom, which is very similar to the word shalom, the word for peace. Shalom has the idea of rewarding, repaying, even restitution. It was used to signify something that was completed or finished. Friends, this is a reward of pure grace from the God of grace. Oh, observe this. God not only promised to stop the locusts from coming, he also promised to give them all they would have had during the multiple years the locusts had destroyed their crops. Now, this is significant because notice the next phrase, the years. This went on more than one year. This... Phrase was used to represent a long period of time, and some of you can testify to times of trials and seasons of suffering that have gone on a long time in your life, and you're still in the middle of it, and it just seems never to end. Specifically, God promised to restore the years that were taken by the swarming locust, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter. That should take us back to chapter 1, verse 2. God reverses the devastating destruction. And in the last part of verse 25, God refers to the locust. Now, this might be a mind blow for some of us. God calls the locust my great army, which I sent among you. Whoa. God wasn't like, oh, I didn't see those locusts coming. Uh, No, they're his army, and who sent the locusts? God did. Some of us don't like that. We don't like that. Like, oh, God wouldn't do that. God did do that. The locusts were his servants sent by him as part of his judgment on his people. Psalm 105, 34, he spoke and the locust came, young locust without number. Now, if this has unsettled you a little bit, that's good. Because you need to settle something. And you might as well settle it here today in church or you're engaging online. Because when things go bad you'll have a tendency, a temptation to not believe when I'm going to ask you to settle right now. Here it is. He is God and you are not. Like, really. He is God and you are not. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts, this is God speaking, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Some of us are way too quick to judge God. And we're like, my God wouldn't do that. Uh, Be careful, because my God might not be the real God. Right? We don't want to make God in our image. God does what he wills for his glory. We need to settle that. And so instead of judging God, like, God, I don't like what you did there. Some of us are still hurting and bitter today over something that happened decades ago, and we're blaming God for it. Now, certainly, that could, I'm sure that was terrible and awful, that pain. But listen, God is God, and we are not. We forget we're not to judge God. He's the one who judges us. I turn once again to Charles Spurgeon. God alone can do for you what seems impossible. And here is the promise of his grace. I will repay you for the years the swarming locust ate. By giving to his repentant people larger harvest than the land could naturally yield, God could give back to them as it were all they would have had if the locust had never come. You cannot have back your time, but there is a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings, the unripened fruit of years over which you mourned, the fruits of wasted years may yet be yours. Friends, God can restore what has been ruined. Pastor Colin Smith describes how lost years come in many ways. Don't you love his accent if you listen to him on Moody Radio? Like he and Alistair Begg. I mean, wow. And perhaps you can relate to one or many of these fruitless years, painful years, selfish years, loveless years, rebellious years, misdirected years, or Christless years. Take heart, friend. There's hope. Ask God to restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Surrender to him and ask him to multiply your fruitfulness from here on out. To multiply your fruitfulness in your remaining years. Notice next, there's some prizes, some benefits. Here's some blessings. Number one, provision you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Interestingly, that word eat was used to describe in verse 25 what the locusts did. And now in verse 26, it's used to describe how God will bring plenty and full satisfaction to his people, which leads us to praise. We can't help but praise him. Look at the last part of verse 25. 26, and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. That word wondrously means extraordinary, which leads to a reminder of his presence. Verse 27, you shall know. That word know means intimate knowledge. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God, there is none else. As clear evidence of God's reversal and restoration, verse 25, it says, the locusts were sent among you. Well, that's been replaced with this race. Now I'm in the midst of Israel. My mind goes to the beautiful picture in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He'll quiet you with his love. He'll exalt over you with loud singing. Notice in verse 26 and verse 27, they both end the same way. The last phrase, both verses, my people shall never again be put to shame. God gives his people peace. So instead of living with regret, you can be restored. Instead of focusing on your problems, God has given you his peace. Instead of being gutted by guilt, God wants to give his grace to set you free. Instead of being paralyzed by shame, you can be propelled into future blessing as God erases all the shameful stains caused by sin. Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, I see one more thing here. We're given the power of the Holy Spirit to live restored lives. As I read verses 28 and 29, you listen and see if this brings something to your mind where you've heard this. And it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. Anyone? Where's that from? Acts. Acts chapter 2. Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. He quoted that passage. Friend, God can restore what has been ruined. On Facebook this week, I asked people to share how God has restored the years the locust has eaten. Several people shared their testimonies. Friends, take heart. If you're not dead, God is not done with you. Listen to this testimony. Following the breakup of my marriage and a divorce, I desperately tried to avoid. I felt like the locust nibbled away on my life for several years. God, in his infinite wisdom and goodness, has blessed me with love through friendships that are like family, a loving, caring church, much joy, and many other blessings when I just open my eyes to see them. Let me share one more. Two or three weeks after I started attending Edgewood, I lost a job I was at for 11 years. Already struggling with depression and anxiety, I felt myself spiraling downhill quickly. I made a Facebook post stating I didn't know how much more I can take. I didn't know anyone from Edgewood very well at the time. So I was surprised. I'm not surprised. I was surprised when Pastor Dan messaged me and asked if we could talk. He talked me out of a very dark place that day. Another moving testimony is what God did and is doing to restore Sasha, Sophia, Lucas, and Emma, our friends from Ukraine. And we had the joy as a church of helping them get established here for a few weeks. The generous people of Edgewood gave around $10,000 and multiple gift cards that they've been using. They now live in South Carolina and they sent a video greeting. Check it out. There's one last verse I want to point out in the book of Joel. Verse 32 of chapter 2. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. That's from the book of Joel. Peter quotes that in Acts chapter 2. Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to be saved, to be born again. Would you close your eyes? You could pray something like this. God, I don't understand how you long to restore me even though I've wasted so much of what you've given to me. I've wasted my days. I've wasted parts of my life just living for myself. And I confess that I'm a sinner. I turn from the way that I've been living. And I need you, Lord, I need you to be my Savior. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I desire to live under your Lordship for the rest of my life. Jesus, thank you for not only being born, but for dying in my place as my substitute and for rising again on the third day so that I can be born again. I lean into you now by faith so I can live with you forever. Make me into the person that you want me to be because, Lord, I need you. Restore to me the years the locusts have eaten